Acts 13.33 tells us that on the day of resurrection, he was begotten by God. His humanity was actually born into divinity to make him the firstborn son of God. Welcome to Life Study, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Life Study is a study of the Bible emphasizing life. Jesus said in John 6.63, The words I have spoken to you are spirit, Eight like one eight eight. That's one study. Eight five eight 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 by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Watchman Nee began this ministry in China in the 1920s and continued it until his imprisonment and eventual martyrdom. Witness Lee brought this ministry to the United States in 1962. Before we join Witness Lee with today's life study of the Gospel of John. We would like to give you our toll-free number through which you may obtain a free copy of today's message. That toll-free number is one eight 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 Life Study. Again, that's one eight 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 five four three three seven eight eight. With us on the program again today is Ed Marks. Ed has been an editor with Living Stream Ministry for over twelve years. Ed, today we have the conclusion of this very rich and meaningful portion of John in chapters fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. Some high points have been presented. Could you refresh our listeners on the peaks in these chapters? Yes, the, these three chapters are very rich and very meaningful because these three chapters are the contents of the Lord's final message. Given in his earthly ministry before he went to the cross, was crucified and then resurrected. In these three chapters, what we see is God's heart's desire and God's eternal purpose. In chapter fourteen, we see that God's goal in the resurrection of Christ, which was the glorification of Christ, was to produce the Father's house. And we saw from chapter fourteen that the Father's house is a mutual abode, where we dwell in God the Father, and God the Father dwells in us. The Lord says, "In my Father's house are many abodes." We saw that the Father's house here is actually the church, as the house of the living God, and in the church as the house of the living God, there are many dwelling places, many abodes. And these many abodes are the many members of the body of Christ, who are the many dwelling places of Christ. Then, when we go to chapter fifteen, we see that Christ is the vine, and the believers are the branches of this vine. Again, we see that God's eternal purpose is to produce the church as the organism of the triune God. Uh, the church is not an organization of lifeless materials. A vine is organic. That means it has life. It's living. It's a growing and fruit-producing entity. In the same way, the church, as the body of Christ, is an organism, not an organization. We are the branches of Christ, and we need to bear as the branches of Christ. We need to abide in Him. So that he can abide in us, and so that we can bear much fruit for the glorification of the Father. Then, when we come to chapter sixteen, what we see is that in resurrection, Christ was born 
with his believers as a newborn child. We will see later in this broadcast that Christ's resurrection was a birth to him. He was born as the firstborn son of God. Romans 8.29 tells us that Christ is the firstborn among many brothers. Well, if we look at the picture of Christ falling into the ground as a grain of wheat to die, when that grain of wheat dies, the life within it is released. Then it comes up in resurrection to be a shock of wheat with many grains. This is a picture of Christ's death and resurrection. When Christ died, he rose from the dead, and his resurrection was a birth to him. He became the firstborn son of God. We became the many sons of God. These many sons of God are signified by the many grains of wheat who are the multiplication of Christ. John 16 also shows us the work of the Spirit to come into us so that we would be mingled with Christ and Christ will be mingled with us. And this is also the fulfillment of John 14 where we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. Anyway, to conclude, what we see in these three chapters is the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose to gain the Father's house in John 14, to gain the Son's vine in John 15, and to gain the Spirit's child in John 16, which is actually Christ as the head and Christ as the body, as the one new man for God's expression in this universe. Let's join Witness Lee for today's life study message of the Gospel of John. We all have to see these three chapters. In chapter 14, we have the mingling of divinity with humanity already. That mingling eventually becomes the mutual abode. Chapter 15 is on the organism, right? The body of Christ with Christ to grow in the divine life to express the Father. Then why do we need chapter 16? Chapter 16 comes back to tell us how the mingling of divinity with humanity could happen. It happens by the work of the Holy Spirit. The first category of the Spirit's work is to convict the world for gospel preaching, to translate people out of Adam into Christ. And the second category of the Spirit's work is to glorify the Son by revealing Him with the fullness of the Father to the believers. You may say the first category of the Spirit's work is to bring believers in. And the second category is to edify them, to build them up by revealing the sin with the fullness of the Father to the believers. This is the edification. This is the building work of the Holy Spirit. Whatever the sin is, whatever the sin has, whatever the sin has accomplished, 
obtained and attained all will be fully wrought into you through the Spirit. Because the Son is the embodiment of the Father, the fullness of the Father is the Son's fullness. The divine life is the Father's life, but now it is the Son's life. The divine nature is the Father's nature, but now it is the Son's nature. Whatever the Father is and has, now is the Son's. What the Father is, is the Son's. And what the Son is and has, now all has been received by the Spirit. The Spirit discloses the Son with the Father to the believers. Ed, let's pause briefly to consider the work of the Spirit. It seems that this is crucial. We need to have a healthy and proper understanding of the Spirit's work. Yes, John chapter 16 reveals the work of the Spirit in a marvelous twofold way. Firstly, the Lord Jesus tells us through his speaking in the Gospel of John that the first work of the Spirit is to convict the world. And the Lord tells us that when the Spirit comes, and the Spirit is actually the reality of Christ, he will convict the world concerning sin and concerning righteousness and concerning judgment. Now, sin, righteousness, and judgment actually involve three persons. Sin is in Adam. Righteousness is the resurrected Christ, and judgment is for Satan. So when the Spirit comes, he convicts the world that they need to get out of the sin in Adam and be transferred into Christ so that Christ can become their righteousness and so that they can escape the judgment that is reserved for Satan and his evil angels. So the Spirit first convicts the world that they need to believe into Christ to escape the judgment of the lake of fire reserved for Satan by being transferred out of Adam into Christ to receive Christ as their righteousness, their life, and their everything. The second function of the Spirit revealed in John 16 is what the Spirit does, and this is really marvelous, is the Spirit transmits to the believers all that the Father and the Son have. So the Spirit actually is the divine transmission of the stored wealth and unsearchable riches of the divine trinity. Verse 15 of John 16 says this, and the Lord says this, he says, All that the Father has is mine, for this reason I have said that he, the Spirit, receives of mine and will declare it to you. What these verses show us is that all that the Father is and has is embodied in the Son. And all that the Son is and has is received by the Spirit and declared to the believers and transmitted into the believers by the Spirit so that they can enjoy all the riches in the divine trinity. This is quite marvelous. The Spirit is revealed here as the Spirit of reality. Well, we know that in John 14, the Lord told us that He is the reality. 
But in resurrection, he became the life-giving spirit. Now the spirit is the spirit of reality, and his function is to guide us into all the reality. This means he guides us into Christ as the reality of every positive thing in the universe. And Christ is the embodiment of all the riches of the Father. So what we see here is the Spirit transmits, again, all the unsearchable riches of Christ, who is the embodiment of all the riches of the Father, into our being so that we can participate and enjoy all the riches of the divine trinity, be filled with these riches so that we can express the triune God as the body of Christ. Let's return to Witness Lee. You see, for everything that God is, that Christ is, to be applicable to us, we need the Spirit. The Spirit is the application of all what God and Christ are. He is not only the source, not only the cause, but also the application. He reaches us. He enters into us. And He applies whatever we need of the Father and of the Son. This is wonderful. So, the Spirit today is glorifying the Son. By what way? By revealing the Son with all the fullness of the Father. Another illustration. We all have to realize in a very actual sense we don't have Humility. Not one of us was born humble. Every little babe was born proud. We are proud by birth. And we are proud now by nature. And now we are proud by our living. We are just proud. None is humble. But you know, who is humility? Christ. The very person of the Son of God, He is humility. He is every human virtue. And He is every divine attribute. One day, the Spirit would reveal to you Christ as your humility. Then, spontaneously, a kind of a living humility will come out of you. That is the glorification of Jesus. The Spirit glorifies Jesus, the Son of God, in this way. Not by teaching you something concerning Christ as humility. No, but just directly revealing Christ as humility to you. And this humility will come out of your being. I tell you, this is to glorify the Son by revealing Him in the fullness of the Father. The more the Son 
will be revealed to us with the fullness of the Father. I tell you, the more experience we will have of the Son, then the more mingling of divinity with humanity will be in the church life. The church life is just a daily mingling of the humanity with the divinity. Let's break in here, Ed. I was intrigued by a point in this section of Witness Lee's sharing, that part of the Spirit's work is to reveal Christ to us in all His attributes, in this case as humility. Is this different than the Spirit teaching us to be humble? Yes, it, it's, it's very different from the Spirit teaching us to be humble. What the Spirit does is He reveals Christ to us as humility. This means that the only real humility in the universe is Christ himself. Our humility is false humility. Only Christ is humility. So what the Spirit does is he functions to guide us into all the reality. And this reality is Christ himself. So when the Spirit guides us into all the reality, when we need humility, we need to take Christ as the reality of humility. When we walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit, the Spirit guides us into the reality of Christ who becomes our humility. Uh, It's very interesting. Brother Witness Lee was a very close and intimate co-worker of Watchman Nee. And Brother Lee did tell us a story that one time he was with Watchman Nee and Watchman Nee asked him a question. He asked Brother Lee, what is patience? And Brother Lee came up with all kind of answers for what patience is. And uh, Brother Lee, Brother Nee did not answer him for a while until Brother Lee finally just was distraught and said, Brother Nee, please tell me what patience is. And Brother Nee answered in this way. He said, patience is Christ. And this is a great revelation. We need to see this, that Christ does not give us patience Christ gives us himself as patience. Christ gives us himself as humility. How does he do this? He does this as the Spirit. In resurrection, he became the life-giving Spirit, the Spirit of reality. And this is revealed in 1 Corinthians 15.45b. Now the Spirit of reality is in our spirit, and he is the reality of all the wonderful virtues of Christ for us to experience. The New Testament does not tell us that we should imitate Christ in a lifeless way. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. There are some verses which say that we need to imitate Christ, but the reason why we can imitate him is because we have his very life within us. How do we imitate Christ? We imitate Christ by living Christ, by enjoying Christ, and by the spirit of reality revealing Christ in our spirit to us so that we can live out Christ as our person. So we need to experience Christ as humility by the Spirit revealing Christ to us as humility. But the Spirit does not teach us to be humble. The Spirit reveals Christ to us as our humility so that we can live out Christ as our humility for his expression. Let's go back to today's life study message. Now, we come to the Son born in resurrection as a newborn child. 
Have you ever realized that the resurrection of Christ is a birth? If you read Acts 13 and verse 33, you could see in resurrection, Jesus was born to be the Son of God. You got the trouble. Before the resurrection was not the Lord, the Son of God. Why he has to be born to be the Son of God in resurrection? Listen to this. Christ was the Son of God, incarnated to be a man. You have to realize that man of flesh, strictly speaking, was not the Son of God. Within him, something there was the Son of God. Before his death and resurrection, he was the Son of God within the flesh. He was the Son of God in man. Surely the flesh, the man, was not the Son of God. By death and resurrection, he brought that part the human part, into the sonship. Is this clear to you? The inward part, which was the Son of God, that part just didn't need to be born to be the Son of God. But the human part, this outer part, and this part needed to be born, to be designated the Son of God. You know, before his death, he was the Son of God. Yet, whenever people saw him, people would put a question mark here. Is this the Son of God? Why people had a question mark? Because of his human part. His humanity didn't look like the Son of God. But after death and resurrection, his human part has been processed into the sonship. So after his resurrection, whosoever would see him, no one would have any more question mark. All would say, this is the Son of God. So this was why he needed to be born in his resurrection that he might be designated as the Son of God. So, in this sense, in resurrection, he was a new child born. Now, we all have to see these three chapters. Just keep in mind, chapter 14 is on the mutual abode. Chapter 15 is on the organism. And chapter 16 is on the work of the Spirit to convict the world and to edify the saints with the fullness of the Godhead that the church may glorify the Son with the Father. Hallelujah. Have you got it? Well, I don't know, Ed. Do we have it? This really deserves our attention, and I think we could all use some help here. We have just heard that in Romans 1, Christ was born to be the Son of God in resurrection. 
I think we all had the question, wasn't he the Son of God already? We need to see from the New Testament that he was the Son of God already. From eternity past, Christ was the only begotten Son of God. John 1.18 is very clear on this point, that Christ is the only begotten Son of God. But if we go to Romans 8.29, this verse also tells us that Christ is the firstborn Son of God. Well, we have to see these two aspects of Christ. On the one hand, he's the only begotten Son of God. That means he's the only begotten. But on the other hand, he's the firstborn Son of God. This means that he is not the only Son of God, but that many sons of God are following him. Now, how do we understand these two aspects of Christ? Well, what we need to see is that from eternity, Christ was the only begotten Son of God, possessing merely divinity. But one day, Christ, as the only begotten Son of God, became a man. He put on humanity. He partook of human blood and human flesh. He put on something that was not a part of the divine sonship, that was not a part of divinity. He put on humanity. Well, the Bible reveals that he died on the cross, and then he entered into resurrection. And then Acts 13.33 tells us that resurrection was a birth to him. Acts 13.33 tells us that on the day of resurrection, he was begotten by God. His humanity was actually born into divinity to bring forth Christ as the firstborn Son of God. So what we can say is this, that in resurrection, his humanity was sunized. His humanity was sunized with divinity to make him the firstborn Son of God. Now, what we need to see is that in his incarnation, he brought divinity into humanity. But in his resurrection, he brought this humanity into divinity to make his humanity a part of the divine sonship. Now, as the firstborn son of God, he does not only possess divinity, but he also possesses humanity. As the only begotten son of God, he merely possesses divinity. As the firstborn Son of God, he possesses both divinity and humanity. And this is why Romans 1.4 tells us that, on the one hand, he came out of the seed of David according to the flesh. But on the other hand, he was designated the Son of God in resurrection. This means that in resurrection, he was designated to be the firstborn Son of God, possessing not only divinity, but also humanity. As the firstborn Son of God, Christ is the God-man. He is the complete God and the perfect man. He's the firstborn Son of God, and we are the many sons of God who have received him as our life to be our person within us. Now we also have the divine life and the divine nature. And we are his many sons produced by him in resurrection, in his great birth as the firstborn son of God. Thank you, Ed. If you would like a free copy of today at Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121. 
3788 or write us at Living Stream Ministry, P.O. Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or visit us at our website at www.lsm.org. Our number again is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Thank you for listening.